It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast that helps us out. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He's the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and all of those who like to help people in the world of business, including one actor. Uh, Jeremy, today we are going to be talking about why managers should become learning partners for their employees in training. Uh, I like the idea of everyone getting some training, especially managers, because they seem almost like the the lost tribe. Um, everyone's been doing training, but managers seem to always get left out. Uh, and you know, as I've often noticed, people who are really good at their job uh, eventually get promoted to positions of leadership and they become the managers. Um, And once again, there's very little training out there for them to do this effectively. So where are we gonna go with this? It's actually a little bit of twist from where you're going with it. So the twist is not the managers themselves taking the training, but the managers themselves being involved as a support system, as a learning partner for their employees that are taking the training. So you're half on it. The important part is, so there's, there's a lot of different things that we're going to talk to, about today. And I have some, some articles to share in terms of the research. There's, there's one concept called three-person teaching, where if you learn something, you change your mindset, not to just understand it and to learn it, but so that you're learning it so that you can teach someone else. So that you're starting to put things into your own your own movies, your own, uh, you know, it's called elaborative rehearsal, your own um, adult learning experiences, you're able to put it into different stories to different examples. And if you're able to do that, and you're more or less teaching your supervisor what you learn, that's one aspect of it that can help ingrain. We're going to talk about this concept called transfer of training, or training transfer, which is the important part. So if you're looking this up, if you're looking at, uh, the, the studies on this, it's a good idea to start with transfer of training to start to, to whittle down and find what you want. The two articles that we have for today, the first one that we're going to start off talking about is called a supervisor's perspective on their role in transfer of training. And then the other one is going to be called, which we won't get into as much. This other one is called Mediation, it's a mouthful, mediation of transfer motivation on relationship between supervisor support and transfer of training. So again, that's why we talk about these things here. 
so we can break things down. Starting off and getting the mind going, this first paper, and I'll put the references up in the in the chat. The first paper, a supervisor's perspective on their role in transfer of training. This is it's it's a qualitative study that was done, meaning that they looked for they went through a discovery process and they interviewed 16 supervisors about their experience in terms of supporting employees. And the reason this paper was done is verbatim here, little is known about which specific supervisors' behaviors and attitudes enhance transfer of training. What what is transfer of training? It's you're you're training and then of course you're learning and then you're transferring that into actual behavior into the workforce. We do have a de definition here, um, Insight, which is Newstrom from 1986. Transfer of training refers to the extent to which trainees effectively apply the knowledge, skills, and attitude learned from training on their job. Sounds like a no-brainer. Yes, it is. It's nice to put it into context, though, to see what exactly we're talking about. One of the reasons this is an important topic for today, Tom, is that uh, you know when you look through these papers, and I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm paraphrasing some things here. When you look at the training budgets, it's uh, European organizations spend on average 1.6 of their labor cost on training, and this is a site from 2010. But a lot of these training budgets don't lead to improved effectiveness. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Something about eighty percent of train of of that one point eight percent, point six percent of those training dollars go to waste. In organizations, it often becomes check the box. How do we keep these things from becoming check the box? The reason I like this article is it that it line it outlines, and I'll provide this as a little bit of a, a launch pad for today. These are the different categories. These are the different things that supervisors can do to insert themselves. In their train in in the experience of the training, and it can be, we talk about training. It can be soft skills. It can be critical communication. It can be um, those hard skills like how to insert guest information into a system in a large hotel. It could be that. So it depends on whatever the training is. But this supervisor feedback is what is so important. And forgive me for a little bit of, of delay here. I'm I'm going between a couple of different charts and trying to pick out exactly what information to share. But in general, there's 24 different categories. I'll just name off a couple. Discussing the application of the training, providing an emotional support, feedback, goal setting, being involved in actually selecting the training so that, hey, by the way, uh, in, in employee, this is training that I looked at. And I feel this actually meets the expectations. Plus, you and I talked about what your needs are and what you're learning in terms of what you're, ne you're needing in terms of your professional development and in terms of what you're looking to do. And I've selected this training specifically for you. Or here, here's a, an a la carte. Which, which, which of the trainings do you want to take? What's most important to you? So there's a couple of different things. You're really getting involved pre-training, during training, and post-training with that follow-up. So I'm going to turn it over to you, and I've got plenty to share, but Tom, I'm going to turn it back over to you for a follow-up or a question. Well, I'm, I'm interested in, because I think this is great, because if the if the managers can actually learn with the trainers, like if, if my employee is doing training and I pick up stuff, it's so much easier to implement that training. And it, it, it it's a little bit like we have to get away from all the check the box things and actually do training that's effective and makes things better. 
But Linda Ann, if I wouldn't mind going to you and and you know getting an opinion from the HR office, um, how much training have you seen that's checked the box, and how much is it really beneficial and is involving the managers in the employee training? Uh, from the HR perspective, is that going to be effective to actually improve what we're seeing? Well, I think it's important that 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 development, that educational development conversation happen all the time with with a person's manager. One of the things that I that I think of though when it is a little bit of a twist on this and it reflects the kind of environment that we're in now where you know the boss can't know everything, right? The man and so with regard to what Jeremy was saying, my take on that is to have the employee identify some of the trainings, maybe they've given a list or whatever or help identify where they want to develop and allow them to take the course themselves and then teach the manager because the manager doesn't need to know all the details, the ins and outs of the of what they're going to perform, but they can share the knowledge back so that you get an inkling and understand maybe how to delegate better or um, uh, manage the process better. So I I love the idea of sharing those knowledges in that process because it should be a joint decision and a joint process. I prefer to see the employee get the detailed knowledge and then share it back with the manager. I kind of like that too. Um, Lee, let me ask you, because you know, with your military experience, is that what happens in the military is are are the are the the sergeants and the generals learning from the the grunts on the ground? Well, the smart ones are. I mean, uh, I was a senior NCO, right? So, you know, I was told when I when I became a chief petty officer that part of my job was to train junior officers. So even though they were, you know, technically and officially senior to me, my job was to train them how to do their jobs. And the smart ones listened. The not so smart ones weren't very successful because they needed me on their side in order to be successful. And so, you know, there was there was that aspect of it. Um, but then, you know, in turn, me, I had lots of junior people. And for them, there were some smart people, man. I worked in, the, you know, I worked in IT and that sort of thing. And a lot of these people were coming in with more knowledge than I had. I mean, the day that, you know, the day they got their initial training and started to work, they had more knowledge and training than I had received in all the time I had been in because the pipeline changed. Um, did I learn everything that they knew? Absolutely not. But I didn't need to because I just made sure they did their jobs. But I, I did as much as I could to learn from them because, I mean, my goodness. And I, and I do this with the, the student and early career IOs that I meet too. They know so much stuff that just wasn't a thing when I was at that stage. And I try to learn from them. Um, but yeah, as far as the uh, as far as the partnership goes, I mean, I totally, totally agree with that. That was part of my coaching in the military when I would deal with younger people that what do you want to do and how can we get you there? What resources do we have and how can we use them? And in my current company, we have you have a budget every year that you can spend on training. You know, individually, not as a department. Like I have money I can use for myself for training. And my job is to work with my manager to get approval and it gets put in his goals. And once those goals are put in, then the company's on the hook. You know, as soon as it's put into work day and approved, 
the company's on the hook for making sure that I have the opportunity to get the training that we put into the goal. So uh, it puts everybody on the hook to do it because I'm responsible for making the goal. They're responsible for making, give, give me, giving me the, the opportunity. And then I do the same thing going down to my direct reports, um, which actually works out pretty well. I mean, it, it gives you that, um, the carrot and the stick to get the training. And then, of course, I like to follow up with people. What'd you learn? Was it good? Was it something that I would benefit from? Maybe, maybe I should take that course. Thank you for that. And if anyone else wants to jump in, just raise your hand. But Dr. Martha, I'd love to go to you next and, and sort of ask this question that if, if organizations are experiencing that they're doing training, they've got a budget for training every single year, but quite often it is check the box and it doesn't seem to be all that effective. What is the conversation we need to have with the executives the C-suite about, or you know, maybe it's the HR, the trainers about how we can change training and how a concept like this is actually beneficial. And all of a sudden, as Jeremy says, we're going to get away from that 80% where it just <clears throat> isn't effective. How, how, do we, how do we talk to them on that? Well, I think this is a conversation that needs to happen between multiple parties. So talking to management about what kind of training uh, do we get for the employees and how do we implement it is one part, but I think the employees need to be involved in that. Certainly there are going to be certain trainings that will just have to happen. That's part of the deal. We have to have to have, uh, have training on these things, but there also is room for trainings that would be driven by the employees. This is what we need. This is what we're interested in. This is what would benefit us. So I think the conversation needs to have more people involved. And it, if it takes simple conversations between a manager and some of the employees, then that's what it takes. If it takes something more organized like surveys, then that's what it takes. And there's a certain amount of trial and error that's going to be part of the experience. Some trainings are better than others. Some trainers are better than others. Some students are better than others. So there's a lot that goes into this and we have to be cognizant of that. And it's so disheartening to hear 80% of the training is just kind of out the window, waste of time, but we do it anyway. Some people do it because they don't wanna lose the funding, right? The whatever money they had allotted last year, they don't wanna not use it and then not get it uh, for next year. So there's a lot to consider here, but you know, I, as I'm listening to others talk, I think about managers. I think there's two schools of thoughts here. There are those managers who they're not, expecting or aren't expected to know everybody's job. Their job is to manage people and other resources. But then the, you have those managers who have come up through the ranks and they've done all the jobs. So they know everybody's job. Those are two very different managers in that aspect. So then what do you do with that? If you have a manager who has a lot of people under him or her, are you really going to work with every individual that took the training? That's not realistic in terms of that manager's time, but there is something to be said for partnering. When you think about the concept of uh, learn, do, teach, not only does that solidify what you've learned, you, you put it into practice, but you also reinforce it within yourself by teaching. So then we go back to conversations and communications between employees and employers. What did you think of this training? What did you learn? 
What was the best thing about it? What was the worst thing about it? Teach me something. And again, it's going to differ for different situations and different managers. If you're a manager that is pretty far removed from the trenches because you have a lot of people and a lot of managing to do, it's going to be different than if you're a manager of a small group where you're on a, um, you have daily interaction with people. So lots to consider there, but the conversation needs to be happening between multiple people at different levels. And there's going to be trial and error, and we're going to have to learn as we go. Yeah, we certainly are. Uh, Jeremy, back to you. The question will always remain for the, even those, for those managers, for let's say somebody's listening or watching this and they're saying, okay, I want to do it, but what are the steps and where do I go? I'm just, I'm going to refer back to Tom, what you say, hire, you know, hire an IO, ask for one for Christmas. Maybe you'll get an uh, industrial organizational psychologist in your stocking. That would be fantastic. We, we, can do all of the meeting you where you're at and helping your organization to do this and to handhold in a way that's supportive, but also practicing what we preach in terms of transferring what we're showing you so that then we can leave and we give you the skills and we give you the, whatever the programs, whatever it may be. The other thing is I can't stress enough how easy it is to find all of this stuff because it is evidence. And we look at what is CBOC. It's the Society of Evidence-Based Organizational Consulting, which is why, again, we continue to point to what's already known and what's out there. We find these gems and I'm always amazed. I went to look for some articles to share for this topic today. I never spend more than five minutes. I just find these golden nuggets and it seems to be exactly what I want. And of course, the same thing happened again. So I'll refer back, <clears throat> I'll share the name again, a supervisor's perspective on their role of training transfer. I did put this in the chat. So if anyone doesn't have it, because I know if you come into a Zoom late, you're not able to see it, just type in the chat, hey, I can't see it. And then someone else can leave. Maybe you copy and paste it back in there for everyone. The reason this, again, this article, so this particular study, so it's a scientific study, it's a qualitative study meaning it's not quantitative. So it's qualitative. What does that mean? It means it's the discovery process. We're not looking to analyze a whole lot of numbers and a whole lot of data. It's the discovery process. We're trying to figure out what are managers actually, what are supervisors and managers actually doing when it comes to training? So we're not getting into all the statistics yet, but the reason these types of study exist is you have to know what you're going to study with the numbers before you study it with the numbers. And, and it's what is unknown. So you have to figure out what you don't know first. And that's why this type of study exists. But there are 20, I believe it's 24 different main categories. And there are some numbers here that we can go off of. And I'm, so I'm looking at this and if anyone's able to find it, the reason I can't do a screen share right now is because it's not readily available on Google Scholar. So I don't want to want to be mindful of any copyright kinds of things, but I'll try to describe what I'm seeing. We've got the category on this side, the specific strategies, approaches in the middle, and then we have how many people were actually doing these types of things. So for example, before training, something as simple as discussing general development needs, explaining reasons for selecting the particular training. Now we're getting in, then there's a, it says, all right, after the training and during, there's some interesting things that you can still pick out with the numbers here. For example, after the training, 
creating practice situations. So let's say, and let's just let's just take an easy one. Let's just take critical communication training in the workplace. So your man, your boss, you know, you just took this training. Your boss might create some practice scenarios, maybe some role plays, or maybe they're allowing you to teach someone else. Uh, integrate training elements into the work process. Maybe it's customer de-escalation for an honorary hotel guest. Maybe it's those kinds of things where they say, all right, you just took this training, you take this one. But it's interesting because 16 people were involved in this these interviews. Only one of them actually integrated training elements into work processes. And that's one of the most important one, ones. Now, it's not enough that that sample size of 16 and, and only one. It's not enough to give us any solid data to say most managers don't do this, but it is a start. And it does give a, it has value. It's giving us some insight, creating practice situations. Only three in this particular study did that. Allocate work tasks in function of the training program. Only four did that. So, and then even providing the, subor the subordinate with application opportunities. There's only five of that. But if, again, taking things full circle, if you're saying, what exactly do I do as a supervisor? Or let's say I'm the, manager of uh, learning and development, or, you know, I'm a new director of learning and development with this particular organization. And I want to make sure that I want to audit our training programs. And I want to say, I want to see if there is people are taking the training. Are they enjoying it? Are they having an experience rather than a transaction? Is it solving the problem that provoked the training in the first place? And if it's not, and it, likely we can always improve things, you come back to something like this, you just do a teeny bit of research or again, hire an IO. And you can see here is a perfect outline for adding in a supervisor support component to your training. It's very simple. This can be used as an outline, you know, before the training uh, again. So before the training, here's the process, explain the reasons for selecting the training discuss uh, the priority of experience, this train, experiencing this training needs, discuss work planning, make sure that there are application opportunities after the fact, make sure you're creating practice situations, make sure that you're implementing some coaching, make sure that you're implementing three-person teaching where you have a 15-minute meeting at least each week where the, where the trainee can then go ahead and teach the supervisor what they learned. And guess what? You get more bang from your buck. I've run these kinds of things. And I've, I would run these um, uh, nine-week supervisor programs. Tom, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, where for a class of 30 people, they would have a, a peer support person and a supervisor support person. So they would teach their, their peer, likely a coworker on the job, and they would teach their boss. So what happens is now you're really getting 90 people that are benefiting from that particular training program first or second hand. And I even had one because we had, we used to, we'd have the graduation ceremonies where it was actually someone's coworker who was one of the peer support came up and talked at the podium, the president of the company's there, et cetera, et cetera, saying, this is how much I learned from this program. And she wasn't even in the program. Her coworker was in the program. You can do, there's so much that can be done when done the right way. And here again, these are the types of things where now you have some empirical research on what can be done, which is also can turn into an outline. And there's much more here, Tom, in terms of what you can do during and after. But back to you, my friend. 
Well, this sounds great because it, it you know, I, I want to make sure that if I'm going to hire someone or if I'm going to invest in training, that it's targeted, that it's actually going to be beneficial. It's what the employees want. And then I love the fact that it's more than just the training. It's the implementation of the training. But that sounds like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> aren't I going to need an I.O. to come in and, and, and guide me through this? It, it doesn't hurt because, yes, it does seem like a lot of work because we're not it's for, you know, doing my taxes seems like a lot of work, too, if I'm not really familiar with it, which, you know, even when I became familiar with it, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. So then I hired someone. Right. Yes, it can be. And we live in this world. So we talk about this every day. This is fun for us. So it can be. And I'll go back to the uh, what was it? The the BP oil spill. I guess that maybe it was like 10, 12 years now. Probably seemed like a lot of work at the time to reinforce those structures. But I'm guessing that the time spent after the fact in the billions and billions and billions of dollars with cleanup and with lawsuits and everything, I'm guessing looking back, they would have said they they're saying oh, we probably just should have reinforced the structure. Here it might be a good idea to say, yes, it's a lot of work. Let's reinforce this structure of the of learning. So we have transfer of training. And if it feels like too big of a job, or we're going to continue to put this, oh, let's put it aside. Oh, we'll do it 2023. Oh, we'll do it 2024. We're going to do it in 2025, no matter what. 2026 is right around the corner, Tom. We're going to implement it then. We're just going to put this on the books. I, I'm <laughs> Tom, what if I just kept going? When would you stop me? Until I got to 2050? Is there some point where you just interrupt me and say, all right, all right. So we keep, put, they keep putting it off. At that point, just say, look, Bite the bullet. We're going to hire an I.O. We're going to get it done the right way. And it's going to make sense. Well, you know, I recently read some numbers. I think it was Towers Watson did did some work on effective communication that if you know an organization has effective communication, uh, you know, how much better are they than organizations who don't? And it was something like three point five times more profitable than those other organizations. So. Is there any numbers out there about the financial benefit of bringing in an I.O., doing this type of training, and how much more productive it makes teams, for example? That's quite an interesting question. I do not know. And I think that would be interesting because I wonder if there is data on that in terms of field of study practice, whether you're looking at OD consultants I, you know, consultants in general and what might be the return, because you might even get into different, you know, some companies come in and they have life coaches that just provide support for, and they, they meet with them. Then there's business consultants, then there's your OD, then there's IO, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder if there is data out there. I don't know if there is, but I'll tell you, that's a good question for the IOs because we love our data. And as we speak very often, IO is the oldest new field because it's been around for over 100 years, but some people say, I've never heard of industrial organizational psychology. It sounds like a mouthful. It sounds really important, but I just don't know what it is. And about the teeny tiny minuscule branding problem that IO has, which we are definitely working on. So I would say, Tom, ask me that question in 2023 and then 2024, and I'm going to keep going until 2050. On to you. I'm thinking this is a great project for a grad student. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, their thesis. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I wanted to share the um, 
one of the experiences I had at an organization where one of the departments on their in their weekly meeting once a month, one of the team members uh, did a presentation, an informational presentation on and basically taught the team and whether it was something, you know, some technical knowledge that they particularly had um, skill at, or if it was something from outside that they were sharing with the team, it was uh, done on a regular basis. Everybody worked through, you know, it took everybody took turns. There was a lot of value in that for on a, a lot of different levels. One was, you know, practice getting up and, and speaking, you know, as a professional, you know, that can also help them when they're interfacing with clients. It helped develop a, an area of expertise recognition within the team and the organization. It helped identify processes that and and allowed people to question those processes and it was interactive. And so there was a lot of value in um, just that small process. And it some of it was from the, you know, they had learned it from the outside and some of it was just internal technical knowledge that maybe some newer, younger staff didn't have and it was a way to communicate it to them. So there was benefit on a whole lot of levels to do that. At the same time, like, I think this is absolutely great and, and a wonderful thing to be doing to share that information and knowledge. But I know there's going to be people out there who are going to go, well, if if I teach you everything about my job, why would you need me? <laughs> Well, Lee has the perfect answer to that because I'm <laughs> because I've heard him tell tell people that well, then there's no room for you to there's no reason to promote you, right? Because um, there's nobody to take your place. So uh, yeah, that's that's a scarcity mindset, really. And um, nobody's so good that you can't do their job. And um, if you're really good at what you do, there's always work for you. I like that, Dr. Martha. Let's go to you. I want to go back to what Dr. Jeremy said about reinforcing that structure, because, you know, when you look at the statistics of how ineffective training seems to be, or something gets lost at some point, right? A company invests in the training, the employees attend the training, and then what? Something gets lost somewhere along the way. So think about if there were more proactivity on this there would be so many things that are improved, including that sad little statistic about how ineffective training seems to be, but it would be improvements across the board. So, you know, this, I think this has to be a topic of conversation that IOs across the board just bring up to their clients, because unless you bring it up to someone, they're probably not even thinking about it. And I can tell you from experience that there are times when somebody in an organization is aware of an issue, does understand the benefit of being proactive, but they're pushing it off because let me retire in peace and my replacement can bother with it because yes, it is a lot of work initially, right? But that's where IOS come in. And I think we need to take on that responsibility of being more vocal about it because unless we present that for what it is, it's so easy for this to get lost in an organization and not become a priority and just back to checking the boxes and belly aching about the ineffectiveness of the training we paid for once again. Well, aren't in North America, every organization is looking for a competitive edge. Isn't this the competitive edge that they're looking for? 
Well, they're looking for a competitive edge as long as they don't have to do anything. So let me tell you a story of what I encountered in an organization, an organization with multiple branches across the country. Uh, one branch, they had a particularly um, successful sales team, a very successful manager, and the company, they were just chomping at the bits. They were salivating at the idea of multiplying this guy across the country in the different uh, branches. And he said, okay, I will come up with a program and we will get every office to have a version of our team. And when he laid out what needed to be done, it fizzled out like that because nobody wanted to do anything. They just magically wanted this guy to climb in a copier and make copies of himself, I guess. They didn't want to do what needs to be done. So every time, of course, people want the edge. What are they going to say? I don't want the edge. Oh, I don't need any more money. That's crazy. Of course, they want the edge. But are they willing to do what it takes? Most of them are not. And that's the sad truth. Boy, is it ever. Um, (laughs) And maybe that's, you know, we're going to take that clip of what you just said (laughs) and put that on social media everywhere. Lee, let's go to you. You know, the, the very first thing that popped into my head just now was we just watched the, the Santa Claus movie where they where Tim Allen goes to the little duplicator and makes the toy Santa. And I really kind of see it working out the same way. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't. Anyway, um, you know, one thing that uh, I think we have to, to you know work with it, in a lot of these companies that have an L&D department. Um, is the just like we were talking about there earlier, you know, not you know the fear, the holding it close, it, to get them past. I'm the only one who can do training because if other people do training, well, then what do you need me for? So if we can get past that, and then we can work to to spread that out to make, where they're not the the sole purveyors of training. Because I mean, let, let's face it, nobody's a master of everything, right? And you know, even and if you try, you're just going to fail. And then then all this money, the 80 percent, blah, 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 all that stuff we've been talking about. Uh, I worked for a company that they had a dedicated training. Team. But what they did is oftentimes they facilitated having someone else present training so that they would work with the person within the department. We're going to get you a room. We're going to get you a, a smart board. We're going to, you know, do you need handouts? We make you copies. Uh, you know, do you need a survey? They would work with them to help them to do the actual facilitation of the training. And then they would work with the person in, in preparing any kind of presentation that they wanted to do as a training, you know, and, and uh, at that time, I was not part of the training department, but I did perform training for the company and I worked with them. And so things that I knew about in my daily job that they did not, I presented training on. And other people within the company were able to do that as well. And so we were able to spread that. I mean, they didn't have to hire more L&D people. Uh, you know, they didn't need more SMEs because we had them right there. And, you know, those of us who were willing to step up and do these things, you know, we got a little bit of time away from our desks. We got to do something a little different, you know, and and you learn more as you teach. We all know this. You know, because you got to dig deep, you got to be able to answer questions, you know, and it, and it really makes you more of a sub- subject matter expert when you have to to be that person. Yeah, we should always be learning. You can learn so much just by sitting in programs with really good trainers. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. 
I think one of the things that we need to do is make sure employees understand the concept of continuous learning, because some people get their, they might get their um, certifications in, the, in a specific industry, you know, or, or whatever, but that there's, you have to make yourself constantly relevant, right? Because things change so quickly anymore. And I've been in situations where I had team members that I had to really push what what certification, what training can we provide you to make you better? But there's a mindset of a leader to make sure that you are providing that information and mindset that that's an expectation that you constantly learn and you constantly get better. Yes, you might move on from that particular manager. That means you were a good manager because you promoted their, you fostered their growth as an individual. Um, But by elevating your team's capabilities, it elevates what you're able to do, how you function, all of those kinds of things. So it's, it's really give it away and it'll come back. Right. (laughs) Do we have to get away? Cause you know, when I'm thinking of organizations, there's a mindset of, you know, the cream rises to the top and it's very competitive and it's more focused on the individual, but there's a different mindset of, of a team atmosphere that we, you know, we all need to be rowing in the same direction to get there. So do we have to sort of change the mindset of business a little bit where we're focusing more on, on the team and elevating people on the team and rising together? Yeah. I think that that's just a natural um, result of, that happens when everybody's expected to um, continually grow and use their brains. And it's not just about, you know, meeting the deadline on Friday. There's more to life. There's more to your profession. There's more to your professional growth and your career than just meeting the deadline by Friday. And um, yeah, everybody gets better. Everybody benefits. It's, you know, it's a little bit of that osmosis that you talked about last week. (laughs) Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think when we, think about training, we are mostly focused on formal training where we bring someone in potentially into an organization and they have a a training that's already organized and and that's what we tend to think of. But I think there's something to be said for peer-to-peer training within an organization. And Lee had mentioned that earlier about new people coming in and they have more new information that he never got in any of his trainings. There's tremendous value to that. And I think organizations need to tap into that knowledge because that's knowledge that's within their organization, but is kept isolated to some degree. The other, um, the other example is think about if you have two people with the same degree, one has two years of experience, one has 10 years of experience. Beyond the knowledge that you got from earning your degree. Think about all the different things you learned as part of your experience. Okay, we both know the software, for example, but you've worked with it so much longer, you know about the quirks, you know what day it's going to crash, you know the tricks, you know the nuances, you know how to deal with that customer, you know it's going to trigger them. So there's so much knowledge that already exists within an organization that I think it's important for organizations to think about that and and figure out a way to tap into it and encourage peer-to-peer type of training, whether it's a little more organized or a little more 
um, laid back, but there's a lot of information that could be shared with other team members and would then benefit everybody and the organization as a whole. So it's not just formal training. How do, how do I find that information? Are those experts that are in my organization, if, I, if I'm a manager and I've got 10 people working with for me, how do I find out what that expertise is beyond just watching what they do? Because my guess is there's people who, you know, I'm using 65% of their knowledge base, but that other, you know, 35% we're not tapping into. So how do I have those conversations or do I need to do a survey? Well, I think you have to talk to people and you have to listen to people because you know what? Oftentimes there's a go-to person, whether it's in a department or just in the organization, there's a reason why they're a go-to person, whether it's because they have the knowledge, the experience, the, um, the resources, whatever it is. And the more you talk to people, the more they'll tell you who else is a good go-to person. You can't just wish to know these things. You have to actually communicate with people, whether that's a formal, formal survey or whether it's just everyday conversation. Hey, who's good at this? Who's a good resource for this? Who do you think would be good at this? And People know what's going on on the floor. People know what's going on in the trenches. All you have to do is ask and listen and you'll find out. And then the more people you ask, the more you'll find out. Step one for all organizations, get really good at communication. <laughs> That's where it starts. Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, I so agree with everything that Dr. Martha just said. The, uh, I, I would caveat that with, with two very important words, psychological safety because the very first thing that you're going to run into in this paradigm is fear because you know you're going to have people who've been on the job for 20 years who are going to be threatened by that person who just walked in the door with all this knowledge they don't know about you're going to have that go-to person who's going to want to not share their knowledge because well if i share everything then i don't need me anymore so and you're going to have that go-to person who doesn't want to hear the new stuff because well, we've always done it this way and it works. So why should we change it? So if you can have the proper communication and you can establish the culture of trust and openness to where people understand that your job is safe. You know, if you share your knowledge, your job is safe. I'm not trying to replace you. You know, this new, the, the new kid, you're, you're, I'm not going to replace you with the new kid, but the new kid can teach you some stuff that will make us all work better. And fact, your job is safer if you learn from the new kid, that sort of thing. So that if you can foster that environment and that culture to where people aren't threatened, then you're going to, you know, part of this is going to be organic. You know, they're going to want to, wow, that's fascinating. Can I learn more about that? Well, absolutely. You know, and then, you know, as a manager, double, you have to not be threatened. I mean, Lord knows how many people have, have we all have sure have seen that manager you know, arguably may not have needed to be a manager, but they're they're threatened by that position because they know, you know, the imposter syndrome is real and they know that maybe they shouldn't be in that position. And, um, you know, I already referred to one time as a post turtle. Apparently out West, you sometimes you'll come upon a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. You know, he didn't get up there by himself and he's got no business being there. So that there's a lot of managers like that. And uh, so... If you can get that person to understand that if you want to be in this position, there's some things you need to do, and including learning from the people that work with you. 
And uh, I mean, Dale Carnegie, you know, said he didn't know anything about steel industry. He was just smart enough to hire people who did. And he was obviously quite wealthy. So there you go. So like I, I've actually seen situations where the young guy comes in and they've got this wonderful knowledge base. They want to share the knowledge, but they get shut down. Oh, happens all the time. Yeah. And um, are sold. And either they become an ineffective employee or they become an ex-employee. And so, I think that's the path I'm seeing. <laughs> terrible or not. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. There are so many people out there. And especially with these younger generations, it is a huge thing that they have to feel like they are making a difference. I mean, it's it's yes. the culture of that generation. And uh, you know, Simon Sinek had a real good thing talking about that. They're like, well, you know, I'm planning on leaving. Why? You only been there three months. Well, I don't feel like I'm making a difference. You've been there three months, but that's incumbent upon the culture of the company and the people who've been there a while to, to go to make people feel a part of the team that they are contributing. You know, maybe you didn't change the world today, but it made it a little bit nicer, you know. Yeah, they, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They they want to have that feeling of contributing. Um, so good on them. I'm, I love the fact that they want to make these type of changes. Uh, and, and I think you're right. I think we need to listen more to them. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. So just to go to your question, Tom, about, you know, how do you find those people in the organization? That was part of our uh, performance review um, information. They, when they did their self-review, there were questions about, you know, remind us of, um, uh, a skill or a superpower or whatever that you have that we aren't using or that we don't remember kind of, you know, remind us of, of what it, what that is. What do you want? What kind of projects do you want to work on? You know, where do you want it? And to ask those questions and have those discussions at least on an annual basis so that number one, when the person who is delegating work to you has different things, they go, oh yeah, they wanted to work on this kind of thing. And they know that. And you can then also, and it's a, a kind of private conversation in your performance review, you can say what you want and what you don't want. You know, like I, if I never have to work on this kind of project again, I'd be okay. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's really, but again, it's that, that psychological safety that you create in those environments so that they can feel comfortable saying, Oh yeah, I really want to do that. And then when that project comes up or when that opportunity comes up, they can remind somebody, yeah, I said, I wanted to do that. Can I do it? And um, really, foster those kinds of communications. But again, it has to be a purposeful effort to say, what can you do that that makes everybody better that you would really like to do? Is, you know, my next question, and maybe this is the answer, but it's how do we make people feel more comfortable talking to HR? Because, you know, usually people, if they have to go, first of all, they don't want to go and talk to HR because you know they they're either in trouble or they might be at somebody in trouble but usually it's because you know they're not feeling maybe that they're respected in the organization but it's hard for people to open that door into hr uh, because there's a fear factor there how do we overcome that that's really incumbent on the person in hr it really is and one of the things that i would do um both as, as a manager and as a person in, in human resources is just invite people in to have conversations. So how's it going? Whatever. So that it was, it was never like coming to the principal's office. Right. And so, you know, maybe it was just, I heard through the grapevine that you did a great job on that particular project or whatever, or 
um, when, as, as far as a manager, just come in and say, how's it going? And did this go well or whatever? So that they never knew, um, was it a good thing or a bad thing? You know, it was never just one way. It was because sometimes it was chocolate candy and sometimes it maybe wasn't, but, uh, but it was the opportunity for both of those things. I like that. Jeremy, back to you. Tom, so you're, so I'm, I'm going to go off topic, but very much on topic at the same time. I'm going to balance that. Tom, you're an actor. Are you a movie buff too? Do you like, do you know movie characters and all, and all that kind of stuff? Only for the movies I like. Okay. <laughs> Who is the actress in Throw Mama from the Train? Does anyone remember? Oh. I think it was, I don't know if it was, maybe it was, I don't know if it was her or if it was somebody else, but there was, a, there was a show probably about 10, 12 years ago where it was an attorney and it was, it was called Throw Mama from the Train, but the, the, that was a long time ago movie. But there was a series where this woman, I think, I think that was the same actress. She was an attorney and it was this whole series, kind of like a drama series on her being an attorney. It was really good. I remember liking it. And there was one episode where I think at the end of each episode, she'll sit, she'll sit there and write in her journal kind of, you know, at night. And she started talking about the passersby in life and how they have a huge effect on us. Not the people that we interact with on a daily basis, like even to this extent, like the, the those of us on the panel today, right? We interact. So we're not really passersby in life. But I'm, I'm drawing this back to the and how important experiences are and how easy it is to give someone an experience rather than a transaction. And this is going back to what Lee, Linda, Ann, Martha saying about how important that actual experience is, making a difference, fitting in, being comfortable, and so on. And you think about the impact, think about all the passersby that you've had in life. You know, I'm thinking of um, the guy in Louisiana who, when I'm traveling through, who had the bonsai and the watermelon stand. I used to get these, uh, what do they call them? Sugar babies, sugar babies, uh, watermelons. I'm thinking of that. Um, I'm thinking about the this guy at a gas station in Jersey one snowy night when I was passing through. And I'm thinking about the customer service agent or two that I just enjoyed so much on the phone that I said, can I talk to your supervisor and tell them what a great experience I've had? So those are your passersby in life. And I'm sitting here thinking I can think of many more, but hey, I don't want to bore you with that. But these are the passersby and they have an impact on our lives and they provide us an experience that we actually think of from time to time. And these are people that you might have just a one minute interaction with, a 10 minute interaction with, maybe a couple of interactions with. And those provide us with really lifelong experiences. And yes, there is something to be said about some uh, memory thing called significant first, but that's for another time. But if you can have a significant experience and your life is actually changed in one way or another from passersby in life, how much influence does your boss, your peer, your coworker, your everyday experience have on your entire life? Yes, getting a little philosophical and deep here, but it is important. And as somebody who is in charge of employees and it's your job to work with employees and give them an experience, there are several things. And at some point, there comes a oh crap moment where you realize that you have this much impact on someone else on a day to day basis. And even if you're a laissez faire, a hands off type of supervisor, there should also be a crap moment where it says, I could have more of an impact on this particular employee. And I wonder what could be done. And there's been conversation here, really good conversation about, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give my employee all the skills. I don't want to make them look too good. Then I'll be out of a job. There's also something to be said about 
if you're doing it, I mean, think about, think about your, you know, you watch, uh, you know, a college game, a college football game, you know, pro football game, you know, NASCAR, what do they do when they win? Oh, I want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank this person. Is we, we as a team, we played a great defense. They're saying everything, but anything about themselves, because that's team. It's a team, it's a team sport. And that's what they're, they're not even trained to do it. It just becomes the the culture of what people are supposed to say. They don't say, Hey, your quarterback, you had, you know, 400 yards this game and X, Y, Z touch. They don't say, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I've been practicing a lot. They don't say that. They say, yep, had some great uh, help from our defense to get, to get the ball back to us. That's what they say. So if you're in the, in the workplace and you have a team and you were talking about these concepts today, you do have that ability to create that team environment where that can be the thing where you are building everyone else so much that they just make you look so good as a leader. The team wins, the players look good. I'm going to guess that makes the coach look good too, right? If a team leads and the coach doesn't need to take all the credit, they want their their superstars to shine and that's okay. But those players, those teammates in your workplace, there's going to be, you're going to, if, when, once you are leading with that right type of leadership and are leading with the right type of power and knowing that, Tom, as we talk all the time, the paradox of power per Kuzis and Posner, the leadership challenge is in order to become powerful, you have to give power away. When you start to cultivate that type of environment and you get to the point where they're giving all the credit to you. So not only is your team getting better, you're looking like a pretty good leader of that team, your manager of the team, your skills, your ability to become promoted are becoming more and more. And there's a good takeaway for today. I do want to back to ground zero here. I do want to provide a couple more bits and pieces. I know we've got about two and a half minutes left of uh, some of this empirical evidence here. Uh, Verbatim, overall, it has been shown that support provided by the supervisor promotes the transfer of training. Alternatively, a lack of support from the supervisor could have a negative impact on the transfer process. So you can have people that are taking these, these trainings, these courses, and if you're not supporting them, you can actually hinder their ability to change behavior in the workplace. And some of these other categories in terms of uh, the actual behaviors are saying, what can we do? What's an outline of how we can help with this transfer of training? You can do uh, things like, again, we have request sharing. The supervisor requests that cha- trainees share what they've learned with other employees. That's an easy thing to do. Um, supervisor's involvement in the training. Supervisors are aware of the content and objectives and may even take part in the training program. And some of the training programs I've had, I've had, you know, the nine week, there, there was a day or two where we had supervisor support sessions where their supervisors would actually come in. And some of the feedback from that was, I usually, I've never been able to spend time with my boss, let alone one-on-one, let alone in an easy setting. And we got to know each other. We worked on this problem together and they can be, again, those are those very uh, interesting types of experience that can make a big difference. But again, the if you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, the references we talked about today will be provided in the description, and you can find those, reference those, or uh, you know, hire an IO or create a new job opening in your company for an IO. If you need help with that, CBOX is a great resource. Tom, you're going to ask me what the next event is for next week. 
So Tom, I'm going to tell you what that event is for next week. It is ding, 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 December 22nd, next Thursday, how to get employees to solve company challenges while giving them a sense of purpose. And I will also mention that we have several guides, downloadable free e-guides on the CBOC website under resources. There is one in one of the guides. I think it's under the manager management training, how to change training into behavior, something like that. And in there is the discussion about a supervisor support session. So there are Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Don't forget to sign up at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at CBOC.com. Yes, we do a momentum session every other week. That's for any members that we have, corporate expert, Pathfinder. And those are just what they are. They're momentum sessions. Some really great things come out of those. Tom, you've been to, I think, almost everyone. And we've got people that post on LinkedIn after about, hey, it helped me do this. It helped me do this. So really great things going on that we do. Good community we have. Yeah. And, you know, if you we're asking individuals to reach out to us to join CPOC and look for us for help. But let's not forget, there's a lot of help here for each and every single one of us. Uh, And with that, Jeremy, I think it's time for us to wrap up. So if you want to count us out, uh, it's been a great pleasure, everyone. And we'll talk to you again next week. Dynamic as always, everyone. Counting out in five, four, three, two and one.